Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. It's about 5am in the morning as of the time of recording. I've got about an hour to work and can't sleep, so this seems like the ideal time to do a voicemail bonus episode. Hi John, just a quick message to say uh, I listened to your episode on the OSR and also um, Spencer's that inspired me to do my own version of what the OSR is obviously paraphrasing it here would be pointless so anyway I'm just letting you know it's there if you want to listen to it cheers fella, bye Okay, so we're opening up with a voicemail from Goblin's Henchman there I'm glad you enjoyed the What is OSR episode and I will certainly give yours a listen too. Things are a bit hectic at work at the moment, and I'm a bit behind with my podcasting stuff, so it may take me a little while to get round to it. But thank you for the call. Really do appreciate that, and I will certainly get round to listening to that episode as soon as possible. So, let's see who we've got next. John, it's Joe, and if you throw out a claim like gravity is an immutable fact, you know I'm going to be calling it. <laughs> Just kidding, man. But there is a theory, if you're interested, called the Electric Universe Theory. I'm neither a subscriber to nor a proponent for the theory, but it is an alternative theory to gravity, and there has been some diligent scientific research done on it, so it's not just a bunch of crackpot conspiracy theorists i do think gravity is a thing i think it is one of the you know four natural forces but scientists still aren't sure why it is so weak compared to like the weak and strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force there's a bunch of theories on why a lot of them have to do with different dimensions and gravity being seeped into those dimensions but anyway enough for me peace out that was Joe from the Hindsightless blog. Thanks very much for calling in, Joe. Yeah, I do love all these weird and wacky scientific theories. So thank you very much for pointing that out. Although I am no real sort of science buff, unfortunately, I don't really have the memory retention for it. But I do love hearing about all these theories. I certainly know with the bizarre flat earth theory, which I'm not really a proponent of, that they believe gravity is caused by the sort of flat plane of the Earth continually moving upwards. So if you let go of an object, it's not that the object falls down, it's that the rest of the Earth is moving up to meet it, which I always thought was a bit of a bizarre theory, but certainly interesting and something you could rob for use in RPGs, which is why I like a lot of these theories in the first place. Thanks very much for your call, Joe. Enjoyed listening to that. Let's see who we've got next on the list. And it looks like we've got a couple of calls coming up next from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, John. Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Calling about Goblin Henchman's question about improvised weapons. So my mind goes back to things like Phantasm 2, where Reggie and Mike are gearing up in the beginning break into the store and they leave the money for the things they take. They end up with like a power drill and a mini chainsaw they use, you know, and of course Reggie ends up in a chainsaw fight with a bigger chainsaw later on as well. But if I had to pick a non-powered improvised weapon, 
I think I'd go with a good old pipe wrench. It always seems like a good choice. Anyhow, hopefully that gives you something to think about. Talk to you later. Thanks for that, Jason. Yeah, the pipe wrench is a good call. And that was a top recommendation for a film featuring improvised weapons. I always think of the film Brain Dead with the zombies in it, which I think Peter Jackson was involved in, if I remember correctly. I can't really check at the moment. I'm not on my computer. But I always think of the bit where the guy has to take on the zombies and he pulls out the the strimmer or the, uh, the lawnmower and... He just starts weed whacking away at those zombies. So that's what always comes to my mind when I think of a sort of powered improvised weapon. Obviously, yeah, the chainsaw would be a good one, as much beloved of various films with Bruce Campbell in. So the Evil Dead films, obviously. But um, yeah, I think Pipe Wrench is probably a good choice for uh, an unpowered improvised weapon. You know, anything that's of easily fits in your hand and multiplies the force that you're going to attack someone with that's pretty much what you want as an improvised weapon in a sort of apocalyptic style scenario or obviously a fantasy scenario but also if it can be used as a tool as well so in the pipe ranges case you know like a lever or something like that that's also very useful because obviously the more individual items you've got to carry the heavier and less manoeuvrable you're going to be. So you want things that are multi-purpose. Okay, let's get on with the next voicemail from Jason and see what he's got to say. Hey John, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I really enjoyed your joint review with Pete. You guys work well together, and I look forward to more reviews from you two in the future. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, I enjoyed doing the joint review with Pete, although, as I'm sure people have guessed, we didn't actually get to record that together. Unfortunately, you know, schedules, etc. We recorded our separate bits and then I spliced them together with editing, but we did talk about the book and our opinions about it before we recorded those segments. But hopefully in the future, myself and Pete, and who knows, maybe some other people will be able to get together and actually record some live reviews. Although, as I'm sure people appreciate, reviews do take a little bit of time to put together with the planning, etc. Obviously, you have to read the book, and particularly if you like doing like a detailed review like myself, you, know, you have to dissect it a little bit more than obviously the recording and editing, which all takes time, making it a bit more involved. It's one of the reasons why my YouTube input has dropped off over recent years, just because it takes so long to put those things together. And also, editing videos is a lot more lengthy and, invo and involved a process than like editing a, a podcast which is purely audio but i do enjoy doing the reviews like i said it's just a little bit more involved and i'm glad people seem to be enjoying those particularly on the podcast so that is definitely something i will look at doing more in the future and hopefully because pete's coming down to visit me for a local con soon maybe we'll get around to recording something for the podcast then so, thank you very much, Jason, and let's see who we've got next. 
Okay, so next up we've got a few calls from Vance, Colin Green of Spike Pit and Josh Beckelheimer about the recent episode I did on Mushrooms in the OSR recorded with Johannes Pavela. So I'm going to play those all the way through and then I'll come in and comment at the end. So let's kick off first with Vance. Take it away, Vance. Hey John, this is Vance. Just uh, finished listening to your meditations on mushrooms there, or meditating while on mushrooms. Anyway, um, uh, yes, I agree. I do not believe that you can be consider yourself an OSR creator if you don't have at least one table of a random fungus. Anyway, take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hi John. Quick message from one purple worm to another regarding mushrooms. Loved the episode, and I've got a few things to say. Little, little bit of commentary, shall we say. Herbalism is something that's very interesting to me. I've, I've met real-life herbalists in the, in the course of my travels, and, and obviously being a gardener, I've got a, a love of plants and things, and herbs were one of the first things I grew as a kid. The idea that you talked about this use of herbalism for replacing mundane magic items that is I'd never thought of it like that before but I think that is a crucial role for them you can get that bit of a grittier feel without losing some of the wonder and the magic of the setting but you, you you've got this verisimilitude which is only enhanced by going back to source books like Culpepper's Herbal, which is my go-to. So, point one. I personally would also love to see a little bit more richness in overland travel. More, not just messing with the wildlife, but more of that flora and fauna. I like to bring plants into my games. And I think you don't want to do this too heavy-handed. Like you say, just that little sprinkling of mushrooms here and there when a session's going slow enlivens and I think greatly adds to a setting. And I'm going to use the word again, it's that verisimilitude. You feel like you're in a, a living, breathing place if you get that, that, that natural world right. I'm biased, I like my bushcraft and getting into the outdoors and if I can bring that into the game, all the better. And you may well ask, okay Spike Pit, easier said than done, how are you going to do this? How are you going to get it into your game? And I would say I would fall back on the old school stalwart, the rumour table, get some local legend, plant lore, superstitions, your rumour table is crying out for all that stuff. Keep up the good work, old chap. Look forward to catching up with you on Purple Worm. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. And I really enjoyed your uh, shrooms episode. And um, I know I, I started gaming in 3.5. And for me, I would be terrified to do any of that stuff back then. Now, though, in, like, Dave Aldridge's, um, Black Hat game, it's, since it's an open table, I'm not worried about my character dying. 
I'm going to have fun and do all that crazy stuff in the world. I mean, that last session, my character, uh, Kezkez, got a hold of some crazy grass. And a lot of crazy stuff happened. And I almost died. Actually, I think I might die the next session I play because I have some terrible disease. There's a good chance that it's going to kill me before I can, you know, get rid of it. But who cares? I just roll up a new character and have fun. Thanks very much, guys. That was Vance, Colin Green, a.k.a. Spike Pit, and Josh Beckelheimer commenting on the recent Shroom episodes. I think Spike Pit makes some great points. You can really use herbalism and mushrooms and flora to add a, a little bit of texture in and a little bit of interest to your campaign world. Like he says, you shouldn't be heavy-handed with it, but just an odd little sprinkling or a bit of seasoning here and there can add a great deal of depth to your campaign world. And I think the idea of using a random events table is a good one. I think you could also sprinkle it amongst a, a sort of random encounter table. You know, perhaps instead of coming across uh, uh, an orc or a, a goblin's nest, perhaps you stumble into a random ring of toadstools or you discover a patch of moss or something like that that you have to potentially deal with as a challenge or maybe work out the best way of harvesting that could be quite interesting and i can certainly see myself doing that i think vance makes a good point i don't really think you can call yourself an osr writer unless you've had a random table of mushrooms I even managed to get a drop table of sort of random shrooms onto my Behind the Walls adventure, which uh, was lavishly illustrated by Glenn Seal of A Monkey Blood Design, which was great fun. I loved seeing what he did with that. And it's great to hear about Josh's character, Kaz Kaz, in dave aldrich's black hack game which unfortunately i've not got around to playing in recently as my warrior drand but i hope to get back into soon you keep rocking that crazy grass kaz kaz okay let's see who we've got up next hey john it's jules here from jules from nz uh piling through your episodes since about December. I'm I'm chewing my way through them. Um and um I'm up to one of the ones about like you'll never forget your first and um I just felt a powerful need to call in because I am not a fetisher of dice necessarily, but I do have a set of dice for every character I have. Meaning that that character's has its own dice, it has its own feel, it has its own flavor of rolling. I don't know, something about that. And I also have a metal set, which is specifically for me when I DM. Uh, I don't really know how that started, but it's just kind of a thing that ended up being a thing. And now every time I start a new game, I have to go buy a new set of dice. <laughs> I need to stop joining games. But actually... My first ever is very, was very unassuming. Um, I, I've been playing since I was a kid. I've been playing D&D since like third edition when I was like 12 or something and discovered it in the school library. Um, but I never had my own set of dice because I just borrowed people's and somebody else held my character sheet for me. You know, it was just kind of one of those things. So when I started playing again recently, maybe five years ago, 
um, I had to borrow a set of dice to roll at some point and they were just like, oh, just keep it next to you or whatever and you can just use that. And I was like, cool, I'll go buy my dice soon, I swear. And then at the end of the game they were like, actually, you know what, you can just kind of keep those dice because they're an extra set, I don't need them. And that was my first ever set of dice, just sort of given to me for a game. So um, I'll never forget it, but it was a weird way to get them. <laughs> See you, John. That was Jules of the Jules from NZ podcast. Thanks very much for calling in, Jules. Yeah, it was great to hear that you got into, well, part of why you got into gaming or as an encouragement to get into gaming was someone offering you a set of dice or saying you could keep them at the end of a session. I think that's really great, you know, sort of helping someone along, giving them a bit of a, a jump start into the picking up the hobby and hopefully spurring their interest on and as i said in my episode about never forgetting your first set of dice it was certainly the dice that captured my imagination and opened this wonderful world of role playing for me although it doesn't make me feel a little bit old when you're saying that well when i was a kid and i started with third edition because obviously i was sort of well enmeshed in role playing by the time that third edition came out and i remember all the pre-release stuff around that but it's I'm not one of those sort of old grognards, although I don't really know if I qualify for that title just quite yet. But uh, who sort of begrudges youngsters getting into the hobby? Obviously, if we want the hobby to carry on, it's great to hear young people getting involved. And I'm I'm not trying to sound patronising here, but I'm very tired. It's early in the morning. But I genuinely do think, as with any hobby, you have to have young blood coming into it. Otherwise it's going to fade away and cease to be relevant. Also love the idea you were talking about where you were saying that you get a, a new set of dice for each character. It's not something I've got in for, but I do find it intriguing. And with the massive variety of dice available nowadays, you could certainly theme dice to different characters. Now, I've not done it for different characters, but I have bought like a set of toxic, luminous green dice and a set of dark red and green dice, which I definitely was influenced by my Middlelands game, which features green as its sort of omnipresent colour palette. And I definitely sort of bought them based on that. Whereas my other sets are red dice, just because they're my favourite colour, hence the partly the name, obviously. And also I bought a set which are white dice with a sort of blood splatter on, and that just appealed to me for the sort of like the often bloody nature of D&D and roleplay combat in general. So thank you very much for that call in. Jules, hope to hear from you soon. Take care, and now let's see who we've got up next. Hey up, John, Shandy Andy here. Uh, one shots, for me, they uh, I quite like them, um, but I really only use one shots to learn systems. You know, if there's a um, a game that I see available somewhere that uh, somebody's running, and I, I think that's you know sounds interesting, I have no experience with that. I'll do a one shot because I wouldn't want to commit to a campaign really uh, for a system I, I don't know anything about because I might find two or three games in I don't really like it, and then I, I'd feel I was letting everyone down by dropping out so I do think they have the uses um, but I, I do agree I mean campaigns are where we all want to be but again the only problem is is I can only run in so many campaigns you know I've got one long-term one which is a AD&D first ed one which is a regular uh, and all the others are, tend to be um, although the campaign base are much shorter duration sort of six to eight sessions I guess
one idea I would like to postulate on, if I may, is um, the way that Dave's running his black hack, with, which is effectively, you could say, some linked one, uh, some linked one shots, that is sort of forming a campaign, but it's not what I call a traditional campaign as such. You know, you can drop in and out. Uh, you don't have to be there every session. Um, and I found something interesting has happened during those, and I think it's helped that we're using Discord for, for it because I find Discord very unfriendly for uh, following, um, you know, topics and what have you because stuff scrolls up away and I've lost it and I haven't got the time to chase it all up. But I found it's great missing a session of Dave's, coming back in the following session, and I don't know what's gone on in the previous one. So I've actually got to ask the other players, and you don't get the true story. You sort of get a um, half story. And that's actually worked really well. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much there. That was Shandy Andy from Unguarded Treasure B52. And yeah, I think you make a good point there, Andy. Uh, One-shots are great for learning various different systems. And they let you sort of dip your toe in the water without fully taking the plunge before you know if you're going to like a system or not. And like you say, it's easier, even if you don't like a system, to sort of just finish off a one-shot rather than getting involved in a long campaign then finding out oh, I'm not really keen on this and having to to pull out and sort of let people down and I most of the new systems I play I do do a one-shot beforehand just to give them a little go so I think that's definitely a nice little niche that one-shots fill and also there are some games that are pretty much written for one-shots uh, a lot of the powered by the apocalypse games work particularly well as one-shots not to say you can't run them as campaigns but that does really play to their strengths thank you very much for your call in andy and let's see who we've got next i think it's tim from gothridge manor take it away tim Hey, John. Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor here. I thought your podcast was very, uh, you know, it showed the difference between, like, one-shots, which I completely agree with and understand. Uh, one-shots are fine, but I, it just doesn't satisfy for me. You know, it's like eating candy. It's like, okay, that's good, but it's not like a full meal when you get, like, a long uh, running campaign and you get to uh, develop storylines and plot lines and really get into depth with your character and everything so now i'm with you there and babylon 5 absolutely that's tim there from gothridge manor who's just recently kick-started a very successful zine quest zine i suggest you go out and give that a look if you get a chance Thanks very much for the call in, Tim. And I think your culinary analogy is a very good one. The way I see it is a one-shot is a bit like, uh, like you said, like like candy or a dessert or some, some sort of small snack like that. It's very enjoyable. As uh, Shandy Andy said in his call, you, know, you get a bit of a taste of whether you're going to like that particular thing Whereas for me, a campaign feels more like you've sat down for a good hearty meal. and They're both enjoyable at the time while you're eating them, but I tend to feel more satisfied after I've ate the big hearty meal. And it tends to have more depth to it, you know, a full meal rather than just like a, a bag of crisps or chips for American people. Which they give you that, the bag of chips gives you that quick sort of burst of satisfaction but then 
when you're finished, you're not really full up. You know, you could go for something else, but you can sort of try out odd little bits and pieces and see if you like particular flavour combinations and stuff like that. Whereas I see the campaign as a more of the the full meal, the big satisfying sort of main event, if you will. But I think our next caller has a few more things to say about one-shots and campaigns. So take it away. Hey, John, Jason here. Um, just calling to say hi. I don't know that anybody would disagree with your thoughts on one-shots and campaigns and you know, if my work schedule is hectic and so the way my work schedule is, it's built around a two-week schedule, and I'm only off a certain day once every two weeks, right? And it's never the same day two weeks in a you know, each week in a row. So I'm off every other Thursday or every other Friday, but never every Friday. So, you know, it's really pretty unrealistic for me to be in an ongoing game unless I'm running it bi-weekly, which I'm trying to do. But even then, it's falling apart. I'm lucky to be in monthly games. So I'm kind of stuck on one-shots, or stuck with one-shots, I should say. But I would much prefer to play an ongoing campaign game. It's just not realistic at this point in my life. So I totally understand where you're coming from. But, you know, out of necessity, if it's one-shots or not playing, then I'm going to play, you know. And we're talking one shots, really. You're talking about like you, like you described. I think you might have confused some people. To me, a one shot would be like the Colonial Gothic game that I ran that you played in, or that Samurai game that I ran, where it's a one and done. You know, you're never going to come back. I would consider Dave Otter, you know, all these other games like West March's games or drop in, drop out games, where they're like, they're just like you described, episodic, like a TV show. But they're games you can pop back in and out of as opposed to a true one-shot, which, like I say, is a one-and-done. So that terminology thing may come up. So, But I'm not going to pick one of you just because you don't like dogs. You know, I won't hold that against you at all. So I'll talk to you later, John. Take care. By the way, I'm just kidding about the dog comment. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not feeling bad about that just because you don't want to hear my dogs barking for... 60 seconds straight not not that i can understand that point of view but i'm just giving you a hard time i do enjoy your podcast look forward to talking to you again i'm just tired myself long day at work you know how that goes talk to you later bye that was jason of nerds rpg variety cast thank you very much for that jason and as for they're not liking dogs I do quite like dogs. I grew up in a family that always had dogs around, as did my wife. It's one of our great regrets at the current juncture of our life that because we're both working and we don't have a very big house that we can't actually have a dog, we wouldn't be able to spend the amount of time with an animal that's required, so we don't think it would be really fair to have one. It's not to say our cats aren't wonderful pets, but obviously a dog does require the person to be around a lot more we don't think it'd be fair on the animal to have it on its own in the house especially a small house like ours but yes i do love dogs and i know you're just busting my chops but to, to be honest the only reason i i wouldn't be interested in hearing dogs barking for a minute on a podcast is if if i tuned into a podcast that was called dogs barking for one minute 
yep, I'll be down with that. That's fine. That's what I'd expect to get. Obviously, if I tune into a, a podcast for roleplay content, that's what I'm after as well. So it's just a matter of what I choose to listen to. I like to theme my listening. But like you said, I know you're just busting my chops, so don't worry about that, dude. And as for being tired after a day at work, yep, yeah, I know how that goes. I'm sure you can hear from my own voice at the minute that I'm quite tired getting ready for my work. We are absolutely rammed and sort of pretty understaffed at the moment. So finding energy to do anything outside of work is a bit of an issue at the moment. But, you know, you've got to pay them bills and you've got to keep on struggling on what else can you do. But putting aside dogs and work, Jason makes some very good points about one shots there. And yeah, I think it's... I thank you very much for making that distinction between the sort of one-and-done one-shots like the excellent sort of colonial gothic-style game that you ran, which I really, really enjoyed. That was great fun. And the the sort of episodic, as I see it, one-shots that sort of go together to make up a West Marches or sort of a loose-knit campaign. It's weird because I think those sort of West Marches games, they then have it like this nebulous sort of mid-ground between a one-shot and a campaign because they have uh, some properties of both of them. They have properties of a one-shot because each session tends to be fairly self-contained with only like a few little bits and pieces moving between them, but you do have a recurring set of characters and often a consistent sort of world background. So they also have properties of a campaign. I tend to lump them in more firmly with one-shots because I personally find that I have more trouble investing in characters for those games because, and that's probably just something to do with myself, to be honest, if I'm not playing a character regularly or I have massive long breaks between sessions, and this goes for campaigns as well, you know, if there's lots of delays or there's maybe like a few months between sessions for whatever reason, I find difficult to get back into the mindset of the character that I'm playing. I'd much rather play that character regularly. That makes it easier for me to slide into that persona. But like I say, that's probably just a personal thing for me. But thank you very much for your call, Jason. I look forward to hearing your next episode and hopefully catch you soon. Take care, dude. Okay, so that's it for this bonus voicemail episode recorded in the wee small hours of the morning before I go to work using my new phone. So I'll be interested to hear how the audio sounds on this. And if you've got any thoughts or comments on whether I should keep up with this whole like, gorilla podcasting style malarkey on my new phone, because it's potentially something I could do during my half hour lunch break and obviously before work, let me know either at reddicediaries at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail on Anchor. I really do enjoy listening to those voicemails and putting them together in episodes like this where I can answer some of them. Of course, remember that if you don't like the one-minute duration that Anchor sets on recordings for voicemails, you can always record it as an MP3 file and stick it in an email reddicediaries at gmail.com so until i speak to you again take care and whatever game you're playing whether it be a campaign or a one-shot have fun i'll see you soon mm-hmm.